All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 261. Jason Lingren is with me, and Wayne McCroy is back. And by the way, Wayne McCroy's new book is coming out, which is probably what we're open with. Uh, welcome, Jason. Good morning. So hopefully we have a signal all the way through this. We're starting to get the tail end of so-called Hurricane Delta. Um, but you got anything to add, or should we just jump? Well, I might as well bring up at this point that I will be presenting at Flattoberfest on October 24th in Greenville, South Carolina. Come see me. All right. I think this will go out on the 19th, so you'll get a few days lead by the time this hits. Uh, It'll be the third day after the new moon, considered in the olden times, uh, one of the most fortunate days, barring other kind of sky clock events that comes up. Anyhow, welcome, Wayne. Hi, guys. Good to be here. Thanks for having me back on again. All right, so just to set the stage, we're going to talk about numbers a little bit here, but you should probably let everyone know about your book. Uh, You will go to my YouTube channel and post a link there. And, of course, on Crow Triple Seven Radio, you can post links there. Uh, I think Amazon is one of the main touch points until the other ones catch up, but give us all the info. All right, man. Well, here's the thing. I will post those links as soon as they are available. Uh, By the time this airs, uh, the book should be available for purchase. So uh, as soon as I have the links available, I will post them uh, when when this show goes live. I'll post them in the the links in YouTube and uh, the links on the forum there. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate that very much. I always uh, look forward to working with you guys and and talking about these things. But uh, the reason I wanted to do a show on numbers is because actually a good portion of the beginning chapters of my books talks about the foundational number or, yeah, the foundational aspects of numbers and how they're actually used by the controlling elite uh, to manipulate the world that we're in, how they use them to build foundations for systems. So that's that's an important thing that we need to touch on here. Right. There's there's a few things will set the stage. Um, you know, we're up to a point where, you know, these things like I'm about to just explain quickly a thing called a cult addition and a cult reduction. And I don't think we need the occult moniker on those anymore. So many people have been doing the reduction forever. Um, but these are things you got to know and you've got to start to understand how numbers work. Uh, the idea of the undifferentiated zero, uh, that's the symbol for the sun, by the way. Uh, it's a zero with a point in the center, that point being the idea of divinity. Then we get into the monad, which is one, but there's a couple cycles. We're going to cover probably one through nine mostly, but then there's another cycle after you hit the perfection idea of 10. Now, these are the old occult, what used to be called occult ideas, not so occult anymore. A lot of people are aware of these things, but it's critical to understand because everything before our kind of school, school days age that we have now was numerical. Every alphabet was recognized as numerical and we've kind of lost that thread for a while, but just let me set the stage by making sure everyone's up to speed on the idea of what they call occult addition and occult reduction. Most people have been doing the reduction for 10 years or more. If you come to a number like 28, what's called a cult reduction would be 10. 28 is 8 plus 2. If I take a number like, or a letter like S, that's the 19th letter. You would add 1 and 9, that comes to 10, you further reduce it to the 1. So you're always adding and reducing, right, down to one digit. But there's another one that's pretty important, and it will be in the course of this conversation, called a cult addition. So if you consider that 0 starts all this with kind of a divinity idea and then first the one 
comes, the undifferentiated monad, then you go up till nine. Now, I consider nine a completion, and the old occult ideas, they kind of pair ten with not only completion, but perfection. Ten is the idea of perfection of the cycle, and then it's like a musical scale. So a musical scale has seven notes, and when you go to that eighth note, you're replicating the first note in the scale you just came from, but you're an octave higher. So you're in a higher cycle, so to speak. So here's the occult edition. If you take a number, which we're going to harp on a bit here, four, um, because we see it negatively used so much. And actually, there's a lot of positive. Um, it's just that the media always likes to go to the dark side, don't they? To try to warp our minds into negative ideas. But if you take the number four and you add all the numbers up to it, one, two, three, four, you get to 10. What that tells you about the number four is it embodies basically all the principles of every number in the cycle, one through 10. There are two numbers in the number spread that we have to work with, one through nine, four and seven. If you add seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and add all those together and then reduce, um, I think it's 28, I've forgotten, but you reduce, it comes to 10. So those are like mini cycles within the overall cycle. And these are good ideas to know because once you come to understand what the numbers represent, knowing how to add and reduce in this way tells you something about how a number can be used. What do you think, Wayne? Oh, basically, yeah. I mean, like a lot of these ideas, the four and seven, uh, those are important numbers to consider because uh, when you do the the addition from one to seven, it adds up to 28, which does reduce back to a 10, like you said. And that's also an interesting uh, correlation there that, you know, when you multiply seven times four, you get 28. Same thing. So that's that's one of the things. This is one of the, the reasons why uh, these different philosophers and stuff equated such importance to these numbers. And then also you're looking at the four and seven. And uh, when you look at that, 47 is a very important occult number, especially to Freemasons, because they this uh, represents to them the 47th problem of Euclid, uh, which is, you know, has to do with uh, geometrical shapes and squaring the circle and all of that good stuff so it does reflect back on the four and the seven idea once again combined together and then also you add together four and seven and what do you get 11 and it's always about the 11 the first master number it's one of those things where they they like to utilize 11 in you know the the use of the cyclical nature of things that they do and this has to do with a concept I call the broken feedback loop. And that's, you know, where I'm at, the 9-11 combination, the broken feedback loop. So this this is a concept that we'll, we'll touch on a little bit later here. But uh, as far as laying out the foundational aspect of numbers, uh, we should probably start with, uh, you know, at the beginning with number one, right? The monad. You think we should go there and just touch a little bit on those ideas first so people can right. understand? So We'll get into the undifferentiated one called the monad or the monad, um, but to get back to the 11 for a second, people can think of it in this way. When you get to 11, you can consider that you've been through the 1 through 10 cycle, and what you're doing is adding a 1 to that 10. So that 11 is holding the ideas of the 1. It's like the musical scale. So I played my 7 notes. Now I'm going to play the 8th note, which is actually the first note in the previous cycle, just replicated, but it's at a higher octave. So it's at a, for intents and purposes, a higher vibration. That is the idea of 11, which tells us certainly um, that we're going into a new, sec, uh, a new cycle here that's a bit higher than the one we've come through, though it's been heavy, heavily manipulated. And before I kick it to Wayne to get into the monad, 
let's consider the number seven for a second. How often do we see the number seven used as the mind weapon? Well, why has it always got to be the dark side, the downside, the, the weaponized idea? You see, because seven was primarily thought of as, as the perfect number. And by the way, four is the, the midway point in occult counting before seven as seven is moving towards 10. But you can see what goes on here. It's almost like each of these things is a coin. And on the upside, there's a head. And on the downside, so it's like night and day, right? Everything is duality here in the material world. But go ahead, Wayne, jump in on the uh, in on the monad. Okay, well, just to kind of clarify what you were saying, these these things can be used as tools, okay? A, a tool is a neutral thing. It's just a matter of how the usage of it is being uh, being done. So with that, I mean, we see a lot of the controllers of this world in places of power are generally uh, leveraging off of these archetypal energies of this in a negative way to have negative effects on the bulk of humanity in order to uh, fulfill their selfish endeavors with that. So that that's what we're looking at as far as that goes. That's why when you see these things, usually the attributions uh, of these things are considered negative. Like you see the negative connotation attached to it. Like you see so much the number seven being used as the mind weapon. It doesn't have to be that way. And it was never really originally intended to be that way. It's just these things are foundational archetypal energies per se. I, I don't really have much of a better way to describe them than that. Uh, it's a very kind of broad term, but it's an archetypal type energy that uh, can be manipulated and used if you know what you're doing with it. And if you understand uh, the basic concepts. So let's go back and look at the start. I mean, we'll start with the number one, the monad or the monad, however, you know, the, whatever the proper pronunciation is of it. And basically, this uh, represents the manifestation of God and the divine mind and the will of God in action. That's what the monad represents. So uh, this is the beginning idea uh, when it comes down to it. This is like the, the foundational uh, substance that everything else derives from. It, it's all interconnected and it's all uh, basically just one. And this is the one that everything comes from. The absolute one, I think, is one way that the uh, uh, Pythagoreans refer to it, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, when, when you look at something like that, you could see how uh, this is the source point. Like, this is the start. This is where all uh, manifestation starts at. It's the start point for all manifestation in our reality. So the monad, it's a, an important idea for people to, to keep in mind. This could be considered to be synonymous with uh, the creator or god or however you want to do that but this is where the source of manifestation comes from into our reality and uh we'll we'll get a little bit further down on that here as to exactly how things start to manifest here uh from this monad idea but this is basically your source the start point and this is where the idea of the creator or god comes from is the monad idea okay it's it's an archetypal type of an energy, whereas we're always seeking in our manifested reality here to return back to that source. This is the source. Uh, we seek to be reunited with it. And uh, you could see as we get into the idea of how creation manifests here, you could see how we move away from that source, from monad, only to try to reunite with it again as we step through the different number cycles of things. And we'll, we'll see how that, that all plays out as we look at the other numbers here. 
So it, it's it's kind of hard to wrap your brain around if you're not familiar with these type of <laughs> concepts and the way that our modern society looks at numbers and mathematical concepts and things like that are totally in the hyper materialist view. And that's wherein we see a lot of problems with people wrapping their head around a lot of this because see the, the ancient Greeks and you know, the, these ancient peoples, they had different interpretations of this stuff and they put more spiritual connotations into this. And, uh, that's something that's sadly lacking in our society today. So when we're, uh, given this hyper-materialist model of reality to work with, we just see these numbers as nothing more than that. It's a number, okay? It's it's just a, a quantity. And a lot of these ideas associated with these numbers are qualitative ideas, not just quantitative ideas. Whereas in our hyper-materialist reality, we're just given the quantitative uh, properties of this to view when we see the numbers, but there's qualitative properties of these numbers that we need to focus a little bit of matter of importance upon. And that's what we're touching on here. These are more philosophical ideas than say uh, scientific type ideas. So that's, you know, kind of playing both sides of the coin there. Now they could be used in both of these ways and they are, but at the same time, you have to realize these spiritual connotations that go with these numbers are largely not present in you know the social norms of our society they don't really put these things out publicly this is kind of a hidden type of of science per se is the utilism yeah right it's they they tie it up in hyper materialism and that's the 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 public mindset is the hyper materialist viewpoint and that's what they push and they promote but Behind the scenes, a lot of these people are fully aware of the spiritual connotations of these numbers and the archetypal energies that they carry and the manifestations that they could bring about through using them. So that's kind of where we're at. And this this ties back once again, like we were just talking about, to monad. This is the source. Uh, this is synonymous with what uh, a lot of the ancient philosophers would call the quote-unquote archetypal world because we'll get into that when we get to the number four. There, see, there's four different worlds that this stuff cycles through to get to manifestation in our reality. And this is the source point of it is the monad. Anything to add there, Crow? Yeah, I think it's confusing, but I, I guess I would maybe try to describe it like this. The, the, encompass, the, the encompassing of all of it is, is zero, uh, which is not a number in my view and in many of the older views. So basically, if you counted one through 10, you get back to the zero, but now you're adding that monad, right? So now the monad joins the zero, all that power uh, accumulating as all these potentialities work out through the cycle. But to get back to the one, um, you consider it maybe the upright man. Uh, Biblically, you might consider it as the staff of power that shows up in scripture in a number of places. Um, And it's considered undifferentiated. And the reason it's considered that is because you've got to get to two. Um, but that, maybe that's the way that I would try to, because you're starting from a place that in, in the old ideas was not a number. That's the zero. That's the divinity idea. And that's what's going to create everything. So almost you could consider the one as the atom in a way, right? Before you get to the Eve, which would is going to be the two. Right, and that that's the other thing. Uh, this this could best be encapsulated, the whole idea of the zero as divinity and the one, by a symbol that the Freemasons use, and it's the circle with a dot in the middle. The dot represents the one here, okay? This is this is what this is. The, the, the circle around the dot 
that represents infinity or, you know, the, the godhood per se. But the one is the focused use of this idea. So this is the focusing of the godly energy into manifestation, and that's the one. And that that's kind of where we come from. And this, once again, this represents two different things, really, when you see uh, that, uh, that symbol of the uh, dot inside the circle. Okay, that represents not only what we just said, but it also represents duality, the male and female aspect of things, the masculine, the feminine, uh, because the, the dot represents the, the manifestation of the masculine energy and the circle represents the manifestation of the, the feminine energy. And uh, that leads us right into the next phase here, which would be the number two, the number of duality. And I, I don't think people at this point in time right now would deny that we live in a dualistic system. I mean, it's it's duality in all things. And this is kind of a necessity for this reality because we would be unable to describe anything if we didn't have duality. Like light, light could not exist without darkness and things of that nature. One could not exist without the other. It's a, it's a necessity to have both ends of this this type of polarized system so that we could effectively describe these things because otherwise everything would be uniform okay and you know once again that ties back to the monad idea but this uniformity um in order for it to bring about diversity there has to be these opposites so i mean you have uniformity and diversity there it is like some summarized in those two words uh uni being the prefix meaning one and uh die meaning two so diversity uniformity uh, these two things, everything exists on the scale between the two, and that's out of necessity because that, that's why we have manifestation here, and that's how we could differentiate things here is due to this duality. And so it, it's a, a necessary system that we have in place that we have this duality concept because without it, everything would be one and the same, and we would be unable uh, to differentiate between what archetypal matter is and and like what uh say the divine substance is of both i mean so you're you're looking at uh you know this this idea you have light you have dark you have male you have female you have all of these different opposites black and white the list is endless of all these different dualities that exist in our reality and this is out of necessity uh, because if we didn't have that we would not be able to understand the basics, and I think this this ties back to the Garden of Eden idea of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. There it is, the introduction of duality into our reality. Uh, without that, without this dual system, the duality system, we really would not have an understanding of who we are and what we are and where we exist at all. So this is an important idea. This This relates back to what you could call basically... I don't know if it would, I would say divine spark to a certain degree, but like primordial knowing, this kind of thing, the rise of consciousness in a person. We wouldn't be able to have consciousness per se without this dual duality system in place, without the understanding of it. We wouldn't be a, a conscious being without the concept of duality. So the number two uh, brings about this duality system that we exist in. And this is a very primary uh, control archetype for those in positions of power they use this kind of thing all the time and they they call it primarily uh, a tool called the hegelian dialectic so they they create uh, you know two 
opposite sides of the spectrum of something and they control both sides of the argument and they're able to steer policy and stuff through this system. So they, they utilize this duality principle as a weapon against us. And we, we see that all the time. And that's a lot of the problem is a lot of these people that are in positions of power who understand how these archetypal energies and systems work, they use them against us in a negative capacity. And it doesn't have to be that way. And it shouldn't necessarily be that way. But that's only one side of the coin. And once again, here's duality just inherent in everything. You're looking at a coin has two sides. Same principle there at play. Uh, and like I said, I think this really harkens back to the idea of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, because that's where your primary duality systems come in place. Man's understanding of duality goes back to that allegory of the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden in the biblical story. So when you're looking at this uh, idea of duality, you could see how this is one of the primary tools that these people that control things in our world use to steer the public in the direction that they want. So it's it's something they have a very good understanding of. And it's something that we, as a, a group mind or a public, the society at large, doesn't seem to put any stock in, aside from just playing into the hands of the controllers with this stuff, because they use everything to divide us. It's all about division, keep us divided and fighting over things of no real importance when it comes down to it. So that we're more easily controlled. And you can see this in society today, the way that they've been pu pushing and promoting this division, especially here in recent years. You can almost see, you know, you could use the allegory of if you have an engine, you know, they put a governor on it to retard performance. Um, that's what's going on here. And to try to maybe put a framework so folks can think about this to prove that it's not hocus pocus. And we're going to have to get into some other things like the Hebraic alphabet, which relates to the Greek alphabet, and then the idea of tarot, why tarot came to be. This number system, 1 through 22, was buried in all these places. The Hebraic alphabet is 22. Um, there are 22 cards in a tarot, depending where you go. But if you consider the zero, the circle of the zero, or what's you can look it up as the circle dot. It's often called the circle dot. Um, that circle is encompassing, I don't know, you might think of it as un universe or everything that can be is encompassed in the circle. That dot in the center is every possibility that exists and divinity, by the way. But what you should understand is by the time you get to one, that's a masculine aspect. And this used to be commonly understood almost universally everywhere. Very few places that will deviate from what I'm about to say. Number two is feminine. Do you understand? Uh, so when you pair off a numerical idea to your alphabet, and we have it too, we just don't understand it. By the way, ours is a bit corrupted compared to the older examples, um, because primarily they focus on 1 through 22, and that's reflected in the tarot. And so many people think the tarot is some evil thing. The tarot was created, as far as I can tell, to try to make this information that we're talking about survive on some level. And by the way, playing cards were pulled from the tarot. As a matter of fact, I can demonstrate something about that to show you that people in high positions never forgot. Have you ever seen Penn and Teller on TV? Why do they use the three of clubs as their symbol? Um, well, I'll tell you why they use the three of clubs. Clubs corresponds to the tarot deck wands. Get it? The, magici the magicians and the wands. Well, the, the, the representation in, in the modern playing deck is clubs. 
and each of the suits in our playing decks matches each of the I know they're not called suits in tarot, I forget, but if you're talking about pentacles or cups or swords, the equivalent of a suit is paired off with the idea of spades, hearts, and diamonds. So did anyone ever consider why is Penn and Teller on their tomb there where they're going to be very got a three of clubs? Well, that's why. They're going back to the magical wands idea. So that demonstrates that in our modern era, people are leveraging off these older ideas that we've never been taught. Um, and this is not about that system's evil or it's not. It's like Wayne said, you can pick up a tool anywhere in the world and choose to do what you're going to do with it. You can do a bad thing with a tool or a good thing with a tool. That's what we're talking about. And by the way, as far as I can tell, all the older writings that I've been through, they were almost always on the sunny side of life when you see these things used and explained. And we might get into Pythagoras. Um, but I think Wayne, uh, ask Jason if he wants to get in on this, but I think we're going to head into four here. Um, to try to make some sense of a number that is misused almost nonstop. If you watch the media, you'll always see four paired with death ideas, 44 paired with, you know, the death's doors ideas. Again, going to the freaking dark side of the force as they do uh, to retard your, your consciousness. But Jason, you want to get in here before we start steering up to the quad ideas? Well, I think the important thing to point out when we're discussing duality is this is all at the heart of the secret societies. It's laced into everything they show with all of their symbolism. And we know that they understand these concepts probably better than just about anyone walking around on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, I'll take that a step further. Uh, I often describe living in the material world as a cycle of hardship and necessity. It is dual. There's no denying it. Right now, it's light. Guess what? Night's on the way. You know, right now it's warm. Guess what? Winter's on the way. Um, there is no getting away from the duality uh, of what's going on in our world. And um, I was going to add something else, but but maybe I'll wait. Do you do you want to just jump in? And by the way, we're going to jump over three, I think, a little bit. But the, these this gets into the divine idea. Everyone's picked up a Bible and seen the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Um, is it just random? No, it's not random. None of it is random. As a matter of fact, if you get into serious study of the numbers, you'll begin to understand why is the first commandment in the Bible the first commandment? It was paired with the one for a very specific reason, as are all of them. And what that should tell you is you never really understood how to read it to its deepest meanings and what else is buried there that you don't know about. And that's really the primary reason that we're going down this road because in the hypermaterial world, we see a three and we go, oh, guess what? The quantity that I am looking at is three. That is so far from deep meaning that I don't think you can get that. That is the epitome of the dark side. I can count three M&Ms. Well, good for you, chimp boy. Good for you, monkey girl. Um, you can count to three. You have missed such a in-depth, levels of meaning that are reflected in everything. And by the way, as we get into the numbers, one way that you can often think about them is you'll see certain things in life and you'll understand that this thing I'm looking at is almost always associated with this number or that. Those are awesome places to think about ideas. Um, what's an example I can think of? Like insects. What's the number you think of when you see an insect? You think of six, don't you? Well, there's a reality there that you've probably never considered. But you want to, you know, I kind of hopped over the, the divinity ideas in three there, Wayne. Do you want to just get into the four? Yeah, we can get into the four. But first, let's touch just a little bit on the three. This is, it will be very brief with this. Three is the idea of the triad or the trinity 
or, uh, you know, how many dimensions do things exist in space here in the material world? Three, three-dimensional ideas. This is the, the formation of the first of the geometric shapes as well. Uh, three, you can't make a shape with two sides. The first shape you could make is the three-sided one, and that's the triangle. And that's the, the trinity. That's a philosophical manifestation of the physical world, the kind of archetypal creation in uh, the physical world. But uh, so even though this is the, the first manifestation of 3D reality, per se, it's not uh, kind of a, a structured thing as of yet, which is where the number four comes in. So like, let's skip uh, over like, the three, which is the divine idea, the divine framework upon which the physical reality is built. Let's just tie it real quick, just so people, so if you, in in geometry, why was geometry such a big deal? Because it represents these very things we're talking about. So if you have nothing and you want to start to make something, what are you going to do? You're going to put a dot. There's your dot in the middle middle of the circle of the circle dot. What's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to draw a line. There's your one. Now, what do you got to do? You got to replicate your line. There's your two, but it is not a shape. It is not form. Three represents the first time form comes into existence. Now you can create a triangle. There's your form. Now we're kind of breezing by this early part to get up to four, but by the time you get to four, and there's some weird descriptions of how four comes to be. One of them is is when the triangle comes down from above into the circle, the four is created. Um, You might consider a pyramid, right? It seems to be a triangle, but there's a, a base under that that's four. Four is the most stable shape there is in the material world and so much about four corresponds to the cycle of hardship and necessity that we are in um, to the point where when you take a cube with six sides six represents almost wholly uh, what we're contending with here but let's let's go ahead Wayne we'll get into the four I tried to tie it back to the ideas that we've expressed this this far Right. And and sometimes that's kind of complicated uh, for people to to understand. I mean, when you look at these things, uh, you could see how it, it kind of works in in the pattern within the pattern. Uh, so once once you take a view of this and, and take a step back and take a look at the philosophical aspects of it, uh, you could see how, uh, you know, the, the idea of the three or the trinity is built upon from the other concepts, the monad and the the uh, the duality. So monad duality. Trinity, uh, that equals, uh, you know, the like I was trying to allude to, this is the divine framework for the building of material reality upon. So once you have that, you, you come to the aspect of four next. And this is the actual manifestation into physical reality, the building of the four. This is foundational. Uh, this is the base of the pyramid. There, You have the four sides of the pyramid, like you had alluded to here earlier. And you build upon this foundation. When you build a building, first you lay the foundation. Well, the four, the idea of the four, is that foundational idea. And uh, it's very important within the secret societies and the old mystery school ideas that you understand the foundational aspects of the number four. And, you know, this has to do with, like you said, the squaring of the circle. And this is very important to Masons, the square and the circle idea. The circle... Uh, represents uh, one represent. Okay, I think it's the square represents physical reality, and the circle represents spiritual. So right. you're talking about the combination of the spiritual uh, being manifested in the material, 
Okay, so that's why the squaring of the circle is such a foundational aspect of this. This is bringing that framework, like I said, from the Trinity and building upon it to create physical manifestation here in our reality. So these ideas, even though, you know, much of modern society would look at this and say, oh, that's all nonsense. It's really not. I mean, there are some there are some key, key archetypal ideas and energies uh, within this concept of the number four that are built heavily upon by these people who actually control things in our world. They understand this very well, probably much better than you and I do. And they use these ideas to bring about the things that they want to build the foundations of the things that they want. So just to give another example, there's uh, like the new Jerusalem idea. How many people are aware that if you see a circle inscribed within a square or a square inscribed within the circle, one of those means Jerusalem down here in the material world. And the other one is the spiritual idea. Um, And the thing about when everyone's always talking about secret societies, they're not wrong. They're, they're not, they're not using things. Well, they pervert a lot of things. That's the problem. The things that they're hiding would be useful to everybody, but then then there, there's the idea of casting your pearl before the swine, and you know what certain things that can be known that people need to or human lives need to be ready to implement before they'll be misused. But one of the main things we see is the constant perversion of these ideas because for the simple fact that women are excluded, that's perversion. If we go back to the idea of when I was realizing that the zodiacal sign of of the balance libra was added in i realized something had been changed there and it took me a while to catch up and get back to realizing that the 12 signs we have now are the 12 signs and these relate to the numerical system in the same ways we're talking about it all interrelates colors doesn't matter what you look at it was all part of a very large schematized system for basically spiritual growth which is why the secret societies are are interested in them. They just seem to be going to the dark side all the time and throwing a governor on the engine to try to report, retard the performance. But if if we get back to that zodiacal idea that people saw me go through, the claim is, and I've seen it in numbers of places now, that there used to be a zodiac with 10 signs. And the reason is because gender was not needed. So 10 signs, what did we just tell you? 10 is the idea of perfection. So we had a zodiacal build um, schematization of the sky clock in our world and, and the influences that could come upon us as measured by that sky clock or represented however you'd like to think about that as 10, the perfection idea. But then gender comes into it. So where there was one sign, it becomes three, Virgo, the balance of Libra, and Scorpio. And what few people don't understand is almost the entirety, the virgin really is the virginal idea. The balance really is the balancing idea, but people get lost on Scorpio because it's often encoded as an eagle. The reason it's encoded as an eagle is because the lower form of Scorpion with that stinging tail is the idea of sex. It is one of the largest duality issues we have to work out to the point where the Zodiac was even changed to bring the feminine and the masculine into balance. How many people understand that the orgasm, I forget whether it's French. I hope I get this right. I think it might be French is described as the little death an orgasm described as the little death. That is part of the symbolism going on in the lower aspect of Scorpio stinging yourself, right? (laughs) Or the Scorpio, uh, the scorpion stings itself to death. 
when it's trapped in a ring of fire, these ideas, it's all about sex. And so this underscores even more firmly the idea of the duality um, that these ideas were added in. And it's, it's just unfortunate that most people have been convinced, oh, this is evil or this is hocus. No, it's not. And by the way, if you're into spiritual scripture, you can't possibly begin to learn at a level that is important, that is deep, until you understand that everything we're talking about is right there. All yeah. of it. The sky right. clock, the numbers, the monad, the duad, the divinity, the three, all of it, all of it, all of it. And until you catch up, you're reading a surface story. So-and-so went to town riding on a pony. And I don't mean to be rude or glib, but I'm trying to establish that you are only getting information at such a basic level. And why? I'll tell you why. Because the people with power put a governor on the engine to retard its performance, if you're following here. But where do you want to go? You, you want me to here? I've got a few things that I can add about four before you get in, Wayne. Okay. As I, as I was saying about the four, when you look at things, like even if you see the number 40, you should be thinking in your mind, I'm looking at a four with a 10 added. That's what you should be thinking. And probably the idea being expressed more closely conforms to the number on the left there, the four, because the other thing is a zero, right? So you've heard in life, what are examples? The four cardinal points. There's an example of four, right? How about the four great regents of the sky? Uh, in biblical scripture, they show up in Ezekiel, the bull, the lion, the eagle, the man. Well, there's four stars that represent the, the cardinal points. What about the old tales of the four winds? What about the really old tales of the four corners of the earth? These things are all cryptically encoded with important information because the four idea is everything to do with the material building. That's what it's like in masonry, why they're so interested in that cornerstone squaring off those right angles. But let's not forget that the right angle can represent the angle of sorrow. But nonetheless, that's where we are. We're in the cycles of hardship and necessity because we are in the material world, because it is duality, because we have all these hard things that have to be worked out before we move along. And I think these are important things, even, even to the point where the story of the Garden of Eden, what, how many rivers coming out of there? Four, right? Did you know that each of those four rivers could be paired off to an artery or a vein or whatever the proper way to describe it from your heart? That's how deep this starts to go. And that, too, is really only surface narrative. Where would you go from here, Wayne? I would say that so many of these things are encoded all over the place in our world. Uh, just, a, you know, we could touch on the point of the uh, the whole hermetic concept of as above so below all of these things and a lot of these secret societies and you know different uh, places like that mystery school teachings and all they they fully understand these ideas so when you look at something say like uh, you were speaking before about how the constellations have changed uh, because of the the principles of uh, you know the the masculine and the feminine well Sex is encoded so much in a lot of, especially Freemasonry, to the point where, uh, you know, the Freemasonic apron, this represents the covering of the Holy of Holies. And what do they consider the Holy of Holies? Well, the masculine sex organ. That's what they're talking about there. And these, th these ideas all reflect off of these different archetypal 
archetypal concepts to the point where uh, this stuff's even encoded in everyday objects. You were talking about uh, the tarot and even our modern playing cards. Well, our modern playing cards even encapsulate this idea. The spade, the symbol of the spade, this is actually a representation of the pelvis or the pelvic area. That's what that symbol means, and that's where that came from. So once again, you could see these these uh, sexual ideas or the the duality ideas encoded in everyday things like playing cards, and people don't know it. It's right in front of your face. It's right there. Uh, but to not get too far off track, back to the idea of the four, we could see four is actually the elemental ideas, fire, water, earth, and air. There that's your elemental build, and, and these are the concepts that uh, a lot of these people who uh, steer society they understand these principles and they use them all the time. There's just so many things. The encoding of four. You have your four elemental ideas. You have uh, even things like the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Uh, there's your four again. The cross, the symbol of the cross. That represents four. The crossroads. When you get to the crossroads, you have uh, four possible choices you could make when you get there. Uh, it, it's these ideas that are just so heavily used and influential in our lives, and we don't even realize it. But uh, the people who actually steer society and, and understand these things, they know what these ideas represent, uh, even to the point where uh, you could look from the, the Greek philosophy of uh, the four different worlds. There's the archetypal world, which is this is the world of what they call pure divine emanations. And this is like, this relates back to that monad idea. This is source. Okay. When it comes down to it, then there's also, and this corresponds actually to the element of fire. All right. Then the element of air that represents the spiritual or mental world that they call it. So you could see That's it goes archetypal, spiritual, and then there's the psychological or emotional world which is also referred to by some like paracelsus as the astral world and then there's the material world that we live in and all things manifest and that these are represented by uh first the the uh the spiritual or mental worlds represented by air and you'll notice that uh, the bible will make the designation that lucifer is the uh, king of the power of the air uh so that's that's the mind uh and that gives you kind of a a, a glimpse at what's going on largely in our world today with these different archetypal ideas. Uh, the psychological or emotional emotional world or astral world is represented by water. And I think that's an important designation too, especially when you're considering the false nature of uh, what we're described as outer space from these controllers. When you think of something like that. Um, and then there's also the material world we live in is represented by the element of earth. As you started to go down the cross, um, I had, done some research recently where the claim was made there was no idea of a man being crucified on the cross till the, I think it's the 6th or the 7th century. I don't know if that's correct. I haven't had time to try to chase that down yet. Um, but these were pretty high-level, old, old writings that I was reading, and that was the claim. Um, but I'll, I'll throw another thing down for you to show how much effort has been made to keep all your spiritual concerns at the shallowest surface level as they could possibly be maintained. Go look at any religious-based movie from Hollywood that has to do with the story of Jesus or anything scriptural, and I, I defy you to show me that the sun is not encoded. And you're going to say, well, that's evil. That's you just don't know what you're looking at. 
That's the problem here. And I'll prove it to you by going back to a scriptural thing. The glory of God comes from the way of the East. I'm pulling from scripture. Ezekiel said that. And Jeremiah and Isaiah and the psalmists are going to ensure you that all evil under the sun comes from the North and the West. Do you understand what's going on here? Do you understand how you've been taught to read things your whole life? So it's some surface narrative that goes no deeper. And I'm here to tell you that it goes so deep. I don't even have a clue to how deep it may go and probably never will unless I'm fortunate enough to me to teach who actually knows things and is willing to show me. Other than that, you have no idea. Go look at all these movies. And by the way, to a, to a movie I've seen recently, almost every time they show you the son of man near the end or in the beginning, he will be walking into the rising sun of the east, which corresponds right back to Ezekiel, right back to Jeremiah, right back to Isaiah, right back to more than one psalm. And yeah. of course, if you understand what I just said, that there are they're assuring you that all evil, the idea of evil comes from the North and West. You will further understand what I told you earlier when they're encoding the bull, the man, the eagle, which is actually the scorpion, all, all that stuff, the lion. There is a star in each of those, a bright star. Regulus would be the heart of the lion uh, and Terry's the heart of the scorpion. Um, I'm testing myself. Aldebaran, the <laughs> eye of the bull. I can't remember all of them. Um, but they're all there. The last one is the Southern fish or the sign of Aquarius. And I think it's formal hot. If I got all those right, those are marking the cardinal points again, showing you the influences. But in these writings, if you understand deeply enough, the idea of North is incomplete, leaving it open to that higher cycle. Once the lower cycle has been mastered in some way up to 10, the idea of perfection. And I know that was a bit of a ramble. Yeah, man, but uh, it, these are important points that need to be made. I mean, th there's so much encapsulated in the idea of four, and a lot of it is is actually like provable, even with scientific means. Uh, when you look at uh, where it is we exist, all you have to do is look at the nature of electricity or electromagnetism. It's a quadrupolar system, okay? And and that's the thing. I mean, this is it's two dipoles working together, and this represents the the dipole of masculinity and femininity. You could break it down all different ways. Uh, it represents the dipole of fire and air, and the dipole of water and earth. All these elemental ideas, once again, encapsulated in this. Whereas the uh, the point source of these conjoining uh, quadrupolar uh, regions, that dot in the middle, which envelops everything, is kind of, uh, could be represented as something called either like counter space or uh, zero point or, or however you wanna talk about it from the scientific standpoint. But this, this represents monad. This points back to the idea of monad. And it's in the center of these converging fields the uh, the electric and magnetic crossing together because it's all one and the same force but where we exist uh, is right in this center point where everything becomes manifest and you could see how that all forms out of this whole idea it's kind of complicated to explain i i don't I, I think can, i have quite the words right but go ahead i could tie it back wayne um so to just leveraging off the idea of what I just told you about the cardinal directions and the old scripturals assuring you that all disease and bad things uh, come from 
the North and the West. Um, these are not literal things, by the way. In a way, they are, but mostly they are not. Um, think of another usage of four. What? How many seasons do we have? Four. That's going to tie just to the elemental ideas. That will tie to color. That will tie to frequency. That will tie to every other thing when this system was once complete. The four winds are said to usher in the four seasons, namely the east wind brings spring. The south wind brings summer, right? Those are positive ideas for most of us. The west wing brings the fall. Are you following? And the north wind winter, of course. And we could even take it a step further by looking up at the sky clock above our heads and understand that four is key to the moon. There are also four phases or quarters to the cycle of the moon, the new moon, the first quarter, the full moon, and the last quarter. So you see how physically, actually, the things we can experience, see, and know in our world were thought about in a wholly different way. And I assure you, I assure you, the people that got real educations in this world, uh, this, this stuff is not lost on them. And in the governance or the government, meant always meaning mind, uh, these ideas have been hoarded and perverted. And every time the coin is flicked, flipped, don't expect heads to come up because the, the, the deck is stacked. Tails is going to come up and they're going to try to use the governor on the engine to retard. That's what they do. But you see, there's a catch-22 here because while they suck for doing it, and I'll make no bones about that, I don't agree with it. The truth of it is, are you an adult or are you not an adult? If you get boondoggled once, whose fault is that? Probably the person who boondoggled you. If you get boondoggled twice, whose fault is that? Do you see where I'm going? Fool me once, right? Shame on you. That idea. Fool me twice, shame on me. At some point, it is the onus is back on us as either adults or not to say, hey, man, I see what you're doing here and I'm not down with it. And since you didn't offer me a real education and I was fooled into all these other things, I will now educate myself and I will now use my adult mind to not be governed so readily so that my engine is not constantly retarded. I'd like to go 77 miles an hour, but you got me capped at 44 here. What's going on, boys, if you can follow all that? So that brings hour one of 261 to a close. There's so much to know here, and I've been, you know what, I'll, I'll put a thing out. I was searching and searching and searching. I had an old manuscript or something somewhere that demonstrated how all the numbers as we write them is relating to the sun in the acceptable year of the Lord idea, like a two, or uh, if I can remember, like the eight, you see there's two, there's two circles there representing the sun in the claims being made. At any rate, this old text, which I can no longer find, showed how the numbers one through uh, 10 can be an aspect of the sun in all the things the sun does in a year. If anyone knows the name of that document or has seen it kicking around, I'd like to go over that again. But as I said, hour one of 261 is to a close. Join us on the other side at Crow 777 Radio, C-R-R-O-W 777 Radio, where we can kind of open up a little bit more and get into ideas that maybe relate to some degree to all the nonsense surrounding us. But I assure you, all these things that we're talking about, that's the little hidden jet fuel under all these things that people are looking around saying, I don't dig any of this. And to understand is to not be so foolable. To understand is to open up your engine and get beyond that capped 44 or maybe 55 miles an hour that's currently being permitted because it's your damn engine. If you want to go 110, there's a way to get there. 
So join us on the other side at Crow Triple Seven Radio for the second hour of 261. There it is, man. Cheers.